group you just saw. My name is Tommy O'Halloran. I am the president of the chapter of Cornette New York. And this is the first event being uh, hosted by our landlord circle. So we're very excited about this. As uh, many of the Cornette chapter members know, our landlord initiative has been a uh, an important one for us this year to get uh, our friends on the landlord community engaged with our chapter and hosting content. So uh, coming out of the gate, this is a pretty, pretty darn good event, uh, having gotten Kathy Wild. So just to, um, I'll, I'll hand it off to the chair of the landlord circle, Jennifer Stein, in one second, but just to go over a little bit of the housekeeping. Uh, again, uh, as these events go, this will be closest to a plugged in event where we'll have the speaker just speak for a little bit. Uh, in this case, Kathy, um, isn't going to go very long because I think that there are a lot of questions that we'll have for her. So she'll give a few high-level overview uh, points that are hot and, and topical for the day. And uh, we'd ask you during that you know, brief period where Kathy's speaking to just put your questions in the chat. We'll try to get to all of them and we'll try and organize them and group them. And then at the end, we will have questions asked. Uh, we'll do, you know, Jen and Heather Kahn will moderate that. And we'll ask you to turn on your cameras and ask your questions directly so we can have it interactive and, and, um, and a good back and forth. So we're really excited um, to have Kathy here. So to for formally announce her and, and get things kicked off, I'll hand it over to Jennifer Stein. Jen, take it away. Thanks, Tommy. Uh, hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Jennifer Stein, as Tommy said, co-chair, well, chair of the Landlord Circle Committee within uh, the Cornette New York chapter. Our committee is very excited to have this opportunity to bring Kathy Wild to speak to our organization today. Kathy is president and CEO of the Partnership for New York City, a not-for-profit that advocates the city and state government on behalf of large businesses. Its members are the city's preeminent business leaders and employers of more than 1.5 million New Yorkers. Kathy and her team connect the leaders of global industries and government, drawing on the resources and expertise of business to help solve our city's public challenges and strengthen neighborhoods throughout the five boroughs. As representatives of the largest landlords in Manhattan, our committee felt it was important to have an intimate talk with Kathy during a time in our city that we find we need her advocacy more than ever. And hopefully we can walk away with some ideas of how we as individuals and companies as a whole can help revive our great city. Kathy will speak for a few minutes and then uh, we'll open it up to uh, Q&A and uh, discussion. Please join me in welcoming Kathy to speak to Cornette New York today. Thank you very much. Good to be with you. And I'm, I hope that I can be um, helpful and positive. I, um, I go back and forth on how positively I frame the impact of the COVID and the uh, opportunities for recovery. This week was a tough week because between the state budget and the city budget, um, I'm afraid we're spending ourselves into another fiscal crisis, but I went into that. So I just wanna change this view because I'm seeing me very large and not seeing you. Okay, now I'm seeing all of you. Those of you that have on your, uh, on your camera, which I like to see as many people as possible that we're speaking to. So um, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say from a, from a good news standpoint, what we expected last April, May, June, in terms of the city, um, the city economy, we have uh, we we our fears were not realized. The city economy we were projecting was going to be down twelve percent in twenty twenty or year from March March to March. Uh, in fact, it was only down three point three percent, which is a relatively small amount. As a result, the income tax revenues. And even sales tax revenues were pretty uh, stayed pretty strong. The um, today the uh, uh, consumer spending is up two percent from where it was pre-COVID. Uh, and as I say, we had a pre-COVID we had an eight hundred and ninety-one billion dollar economy uh, economic output, and that only went down three point three percent. The uh, financial services and professional services industries represent 31% of our economy. And as you know, they seamlessly transitioned to remote work and were able to, uh, were actually more, uh, more profitable and at least as productive 
as they had been working in the office. And this has created its own set of issues and concerns. But I think overall, based on the feedback we're getting, employers, the bosses are very anxious to get people back in the office, but they do not want to create trauma in the process. There are projections that as many as one in four employees will seek to change jobs uh, as, as a phenomenon, sort of the HR industry is looking at. So employers are being very careful about the demands they put on their employees. Most of uh, the, big, uh, the big employers are asking for volunteers to come back this summer and, and offering incentives like uh, lunch or, um, or, or transit parking benefits, whatever. But at this point, only as you know, only about 10% of the workers are back based on our surveys and they expect this to be a relatively slow return until people feel they're vaccinated, that most people are vaccinated and that they're, um, and so we're looking at maybe half the, half the office workers, the million office workers in Manhattan being back by September, according to those surveys. And then a good number of them will be back part-time or on what they call now hybrid schedules. But there is gonna be a move back to the office. And, and I think that that is, um, that the fears that remote work is going to destroy the Manhattan, the, 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 um, the assets that we have in Manhattan of being so close to so many of the things and the people you want to see and the things you want to do. I, I think that that fear is overblown, but it may take some time. Uh, another good news piece to support that, um, what, you know, when we ask about the reticence to come back, the number one is health and concern about health and transit. Number two is personal safety from a crime standpoint or harassment um, standpoint. And, that is a situation that I think is going to improve. Uh, they announced this week, the mayor announced that uh, Chief uh, Terry Moynihan is being brought back to set up a special unit of the police force uh, that will, a task force that will be working the central business districts of Manhattan and will be attempting to clean up the problems that have have arisen there in the absence of foot traffic and the absence of um, of people uh, being there, and and that the, and and both on the streets and in the in the stations and the subway stations, et cetera. So I I think that's very good news. I'm going to have a, a a session with him to talk to um, our membership about where they see the hotspots, what kind of problems they're seeing and how the police can respond. And I think this is, this is something that we, we really need to encourage and support the police officers and that the effort that's gonna be made because if there's a lot of pushback from the defund the police people, obviously that will not be good for the cleanup of the area. And what we hope is then people feeling comfortable again on the trains in Penn Station and coming back to work. So I think that's a, that's a very positive thing. The, um, the negative has been on the, uh, in certain selective industries. So it's been food service and accommodation, retail and um, arts and entertainment have really uh, had the big, suffered the most tourism broadly as well. They represent 20% of the employees of the jobs in the city. And most of the 578,000 jobs net that we have lost in the last year, most come out of came out of those sectors. They're starting to see a turnaround. There was an uptick last month of 42,000 jobs. Most of them were in the accommodation and restaurant area, the jobs coming back, some in education, but that was most of them. So we're beginning to see recovery in those sectors, which is obviously a, a very positive thing. But um, 
but again, they those industries represent only 9% of the economy. They're 20% of the jobs, only 9% of the economy. They're low wage workers. This is, of course has fed the sense of two cities, um, you know, that the low wage workers, uh, black and brown workers had suffered particularly in terms of lost jobs. And that's, um, that's a problem that we can, will continue to have to deal with. And hopefully um, the corporations, certainly the companies that we're working with are well aware that they have to make a big effort to try and figure out how to support small business, how to support low wage workers, and then turn their attention to how are we gonna retrain people for the jobs of the future? Because one of the other positive things that has happened in our economy is we've like skipped a decade in terms of the rapid uh, digitization of our economy and the fact that this has been accelerated and that we now have um, our brick and mortar economy has suffered while our innovation economy has soared ahead. So you've got companies like Etsy and Peloton and Fresh Direct that are doing terrific. And obviously all the e-commerce companies have gone through a tremendous rebound. So we've got this imbalance again and what we've got to now understand is that the complaints that people had that they were being left behind, that they were on the other side of the digital divide, those have all been exacerbated. And we see it in our politics. We saw it in the politics that played out, um, you know, we saw it in the politics that played out on the residential uh, rent regulation last year and this year on the budget, where we should have been at the state budget in Albany in the last few months talking about how do we replace these 578,000 jobs? How do we retrain the people that have lost their jobs and are not qualified for jobs in the digital economy? Instead, we were talking about how do we punish the rich and the corporations who have done well during the COVID instead of thanking them for the fact that our economy only slipped 3.3% and our tax rolls are coming in far better than anybody anticipated. Um, we're punishing them by becoming the highest tax state in the nation, raising the top rate to 14.8% so our city residents. And uh, that translates into if the, if the tax increases that President Biden is gonna announce his plans for tonight go through, it means that uh, New York city resident in the top income brackets will be paying 63% of their income to the federal, state and city government. Obviously, this is a killer for New York, particularly because of the uh, loss of state and local tax deductions at the federal level, which we lost in 2017. So that's a real challenge. So we do not have so much an economic problem in this city as we have a political problem right now. We may end up with an economic problem if we drive a lot of the taxpayers and consequently the jobs. One thing I learned that I didn't know, um, we got the post office numbers for how many households have relocated out of the city during the past year, March to March. And it was over 900,000 households have left the city. Most, about 80% of them saying permanently. About 500,000 some moved into the city at the same time, but the net is 333,000 households have left, uh, most of them saying permanently. So we are net down 333,000 households right now. And their decisions to come back are going to depend again, based on what we're seeing on how safe the city seems, how fast we get everybody vaccinated, whether or not schools are gonna be reliably and predictably open. Um, one thing that's happened during the COVID charter school enrollment has gone up 10%. Uh, enrollment in the public schools is down, is down 4%. But, um, but so people are looking for predictability and they're looking for quality and education for their families. So that's a big, another big factor that we have to be concerned about and be working on. Um, good news also, obviously the federal funding um, 
$100 billion that Chuck Schumer has secured so far in the American Rescue Plan for New York, that includes funding directly to people, but to small business. There's another round of, of small businesses uh, grants and assistance. Um, small business revenues in New York are down substantially more than the rest of the country, just like our unemployment at, um, at almost 12% is almost double the national rate of unemployment. Our small business revenues are down about 16% uh, a year later, whereas small businesses across the country um, have recovered much faster with the exception of uh, uh, places, San Francisco is kind of in the same shape we are. Uh, this is the first time I've seen a major event, a major recession, where New York hasn't recovered faster than the rest of the country, certainly from the financial crisis and others. We're recovering slower than the rest of the country. And when you see national projections that sound wildly optimistic, we are usually not consistent with what they're projecting for recovery in other places. So. Again, that is a big concern, and we had we had a lot um, we had a lot more cases than other people had over 800,000 COVID cases, and we um, we're going to suffer the implications of that I think for a while. This is going to be a slow comeback. We've also had weak political leadership um, weakened at the state level. I'll describe. And, uh, and weak in the city in terms of a lack of focus on what we need to do to have a plan to rebuild the economy. We basically still um, 14 months after the fact have no plan for how we are going to uh, deal with the economic fallout of the, uh, of the COVID. And that's an important conversation to have with the incoming mayor and hopefully we will we will get focused and get together on that. I have been excited to see that virtually every industry, um, including the nonprofit sector, the cultural institutions um, and the uh, human services groups have been working kind of on a grassroots level. And it's the kind of thing I saw in the, in the 70s and 80s where the government had no money and basically the initiative for planning and thinking about how we were gonna rebuild the city was coming out of communities and coming out of industry and, uh, and coming out of, of partnerships between industry and labor. And we were thinking about um, how do we work together from the ground up to rebuild these sectors. And I see that same thing happening now. I was in touch today with the Dance Studio Alliance which has finally been allowed to reopen their facilities. They were categorized as gyms throughout the COVID and they kept saying, but we don't do heavy breathing and we're not, you know, they have a whole concentrated effort and they couldn't make their case. Finally, um, Lorraine Grillo, who is now our, our COVID recovery czar in the city uh, as of late, she was able to, to help them get open. And so we're beginning to see the pieces come where we're paying attention to the restaurants have made their case effectively and uh, we're uh, easing up on them. And hopefully this kind of, we'll be able to coordinate across all sectors, these kind of grassroots efforts and be able to use those as kind of the basis of going forward. And, and there's a lot of thinking going on about what does, uh, you know, what's the silver lining of the COVID? How do we redesign the city to, to um, to be uh, to take advantage of the experience of the COVID, and obviously the real estate industry has a huge stake in that effort. I mean, this may be the opportunity to get far more flexible zoning requirements than we've been able to have in the past. For example, I mean, I, I certainly think that's one of the areas where the mayoral candidates are starting to get it that you can't be frozen in time from 1960s zoning and expect that our city is going to stay at the front of the pack. So I think there are some good things coming out of that. I've tried to highlight a few of them. Um, clearly we're in a good position with uh, Senator Schumer being uh, the majority leader in the Senate. Uh, the money has started to flow or at least the applications have started to flow as of today for the 
what was called Save Our Stages that passed in December and is now called something about shuttered venues, reopening shuttered venues. But I talked to the Schubert Theater today and they're very excited that they think that Broadway is going to be able to come back with full seating um, in September and they're, get, they're really getting going on that effort. So I think there's lots positive going on. I think the political environment is lousy, but hopefully we'll get everybody out June 22nd and in the early voting phases before that or by absentee ballot if you're if that's necessary. Um, I got my mail-in ballots already, so I think they're, I, I don't do that, but I think that they're on the case. If we can get a good share of New Yorkers to get to the polls and make smart decisions in terms of this election, um, I, I think that then we've got, uh, we're, we're, we'll be off to a strong start for the recovery phase. I, I didn't talk about real estate because you guys know that better than I do. Happy to discuss it if you have thoughts. So with that, let me, let me wrap up and turn it over to Q&A. Um, I can start, uh, Kathy, and thank you for the overview. Um, it's, it's a wealth of knowledge that you have to share with us, and I think it's, it's great to hear some of the, uh, the negatives along with the positives. But we'll just call out people's names um, that have posted a few questions here, and we'll let them uh, you know, show their faces and, and ask the questions. I'm going to start with Lizzie Archer, if she doesn't mind, uh, giving, up, giving up her question. Oh, um... Hi, uh, Kathy, thanks for being here today. Um, with regards to transportation uh, and the commute, which is one of the biggest hurdles for bringing employers back to work, has there been any kind of coordination or discussion? And I don't know what that would be, but has there been any kind of like effort there to, I mean, aside from the safety issue with the police chief, to alleviate concerns about environmental and health safety and the commute? Um, there's been a lot. And actually, the I mean, for any of you that have been on public transportation, you know the subways are cleaner than ever before. 99% of the people are wearing masks. Um, there is a, uh, they, they've, they've got, the ventilation systems, they, we, we worked with them on bringing in a lot of, of um, uh, decontamination and cleansing and air filtration systems. And they've got a lot of improvements in the subways and good communications, improved communications with customers. So I, I think that, I think the, um, the big issue is harassment, intimidation fears on the subways that that's, they have not gotten the cooperation and that you saw that fight come out last week between Sarah Feinblatt and Pat Foy and the mayor is they, they're complaining that they're just not getting the police they need and hopefully that pressure is on. Um, they do think that the, the drop off from commuter rail is what's really, it's, uh, it's 66% down on the subways in terms of revenues and riderships, but it's 80 some percent on commuter rail. And that's where they're really worried about permanent uh, dislocation, people not coming back. Um, employers, uh, you know, there's, a, there's gonna be an article, I got called about an article tomorrow in the Daily News about that the, uh, the use of, of the, the metro, uh, Metro Pass is down 80 some percent. And um, I think that that is, um, it's not gonna be quick. I think when everybody's vaccinated or if we can get a majority of people vaccinated and what everybody's worried right now is that we've kind of stalled a bit on the vaccination. You know, for a long time we had more supply, we had a shortage of vaccine supply. Now we have more vaccine supply than people are taking up and you're getting, we're all getting called to say, we've got vaccine, come in and get it. Um, so that's a worry. We've got 28% fully vaccinated, 42% as of today of, uh, have got at least one shot, but that's what we've got to work on, I think. Um, and people, once they feel health safe and crime safe on the subways, 
and, and New Yorkers, um, I mean, the subways are part of our part of our life, part of our culture. So I think it'll be back. Thank you. Um, thanks, Kathy and Lizzie. Uh, Tommy, do you want to uh, toss out your question? Sure. Thanks, Heather. Um, so, so Kathy, I'm just curious. You know, it, it's old news now with Amazon, you know, like history now. But you know, in the circles in which you travel, are you hearing anything compelling that you could share with us to, to where New York or, or any organizations are coming up with ideas to try and make the city look more attractive? I mean, we just had a session for Cornet about, you know, companies leaving for Florida. Um, you know, there's a lot of activity there. So, so what, and have you heard of anything like that might say, hey, this is what we're talking about that might make us turn this around? So just to be clear, companies are not leaving. Talent is leaving and they're forcing companies to accommodate them with offices outside New York City because of these taxes and the loss of the state and local tax deductibility. That's what's driving that because the um, pre-COVID in 2018, 56% of our highest earners were non-residents of New York State. So the not, people being outside New York and coming in here to work, you know, less than their 183 days, whatever, that's been going on for a long time. And they were paying New, but, but they're paying New York taxes. There's a point at which they're not willing any longer to be in Florida, fly up here a few days a week and pay full freight on their New York taxes because they're place of business or their office that they're paid by is Morgan Stanley or Goldman Sachs in New York. So they are demanding and I'm that offices be open for them that become their work site that match where they live. And that's the and that's what's forcing companies. It's not that the companies want to leave leave that for the companies, the concentration of talent, particularly ta high-end talent in New York, with the lawyers, the accountants, the consultants, and, and their professional team, they want to stay here. So, so it's this income tax thing, and we're we're making a priority to support those members of Congress. We only need five Democratic congressmen to pass a reversal of the loss of state and local deductibility in Congress. We only need maybe four or five, and then they'll have to toss it over to Senator Schumer to get it through the Senate, but he's committed to do that. So if we can get in the next, it has to be in this package that the president's rolling out tonight, which, which is this uh, American jobs, the American jobs plan and then the American families plan. He's putting those together. He's rolling that out tonight. It involves big corporate and income taxes to pay for it. But at a federal level, that's not a threat to New York. When it, where it's a threat to New York is when it's New York State. And right now we're in trouble because of what we've done in New York State. So, um, so what I'm suggesting is that all of you with your relationships with members of Congress and the delegation, and I don't know how many of you saw our hometown newspaper, the New York Times came out yesterday with an editorial saying that getting rid of salt deductibility is a gift from Democrats to rich people, which is gonna make it very hard for Jerry Nadler and Carolyn Maloney to vote for it. But I was on the phone today with one of the new far left representatives, the guy who, um, Mondaire Jones, who replaced uh, Nita Lowy in the House last year. He's a lefty and he's introduced the legislation to restore full state and local tax deductibility because he gets the fact that it is the state and city that suffer. Our taxpayers are sending $12 billion more to the federal treasury and we're not getting anything for it because of the loss of state and local tax deductibility. So that's what I would suggest you put on your agenda. Every one of you is letting your Congress member know that they will have your support for 
standing up and saying to the president, we are not going to vote for these important new packages you're putting forward unless they include the restoration of state and local taxes. That will cost somewhere a bit north of $600 billion over 10 years. So it's like 60 billion a year. Um, that's nothing compared to the trillions they're planning on spending. So that's what I'm, that's, that's my pitch to you. Um, let Congress know that they have crippled the 10 states that represent, uh, not coincidentally 10 blue states, that represent 57% of the national economy. It's us, it's California, it's New Jersey, it's Illinois, it's Massachusetts, it's Connecticut, and they're killing us. Sorry. That's <laughs> <laughs> it answers my question. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's Don't you, be sorry, Kathy. I think you left us all a little bit speechless, but we certainly appreciate your passion and um, and I think your wealth of knowledge and um, your willingness to share some of your thoughts. Tommy had another good follow-up question. I'm going to throw it out there and then we'll turn it over to somebody else, but he's asking if you'll run for mayor and I know you've had that question in the past because I've heard it. <laughs> not in my DNA. Collective office is not in my DNA. I'd, I'd rather tell them what to do than have to spend my time. I, I used to say kissing babies, but I guess that's not the right thing to say. But anyhow, nah, not running from there. Um, okay, that's good. You've been consistent on that. <laughs> but I think we might be better off having you as a, as a, a strategic advisor or uh, giving direction. So that's, that's good. That'll be <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, um, Larry, or not. sorry, what was that? I said solicited or not. There we go. <laughs> Even better. Um, so we have, uh, Larry Chirlip here with us and I think he has a question as well around, um, timeframe re for return to work. I know you touched on it a little bit, but maybe with some of the recent press, we're starting to see maybe some different answers. So we'll let Larry, uh, ask his perspective here. Hi, Kathy. Uh, the mayor announced that, you know, they're going to bring back in shifts um, 80,000 New York City employees. I think he said this month, J.P. Morgan uh, Chase released a memo to their employees that they're going to open up all of their offices. I think they said in July at 50 percent capacity and start bringing people. I think I think they were talking about forcing their employees back or require. I hate to use the word forcing and requiring their employees to come back um, in shifts in July. Do you think other employers will follow? And is there, you know, is there a time frame that that you know is out there in the in the world about when those other, you know, when more employers might start following that suit? Uh, yes, and a, and a lot of employers are. They are, but they're positioning it as um, asking for volunteers to come back this summer. I mean, they're they're trying to position in a positive way. They are. I asked the CEO of, a, of another big bank in the city what his biggest concern was. And he said, it's, it is the mental health of his people. Um, and uh, apparently uh, from the people I've talked to in big employers, they're seeing a big increase in incidents of domestic violence, uh, alcoholism, drug abuse, um, that they're, they're really concerned about the mental well-being, behavioral health of their employees and their employees' families. And so they're, they're instituting wellness seminars and they're, I mean, they're really investing in this area. And what they don't wanna do is they don't wanna have an incident, an event or whatever that reverses any progress being made on a, getting people feeling positive about coming back to the office. So, so they're going at it with kid gloves. And I don't think, you know, when I asked them about, are you going to, um, uh, one good thing uh, somebody told me yesterday is that they're seeing that their employees who are vaccinated are starting to ask that vaccinations be mandatory for everybody who comes back and that employers really push that. So there are, you know, there's some of that, some of this mentality is shifting where the employees are getting gung-ho and positive about coming back. 
And I think that's really important. And I and it's it's just unclear because you know the biggest employers in the city, the average age of their employees are like their kids. Um, it's a very young workforce. And I think that makes it kind of unpredictable about what they're gonna do. So that's the older, everybody tells me the older employees are happy to come back to the office. The younger employees are, um, are enjoying their flexibility. But I, I, I just don't think anybody knows right now. And it's, I don't think we're, I think we're gonna watch over the summer and if we can keep pushing the vaccine and if the education thing seems to be working out so people know there's really gonna be school. And, and again, um, if, if uh, you know, the federal government goes forward with a lot of these incentives and providing support for childcare as well as education, then I think we'll see some positive momentum. Thank you. Um, great, thank you. And I think uh, we, we may have uh, one more question left on the chat board here. And, and you know, we, we do have a, a bit more time with Kathy. So if anything comes to mind from anyone else, uh, please feel to post it up. But is there, um, oh, and the, my screen just jumped on me. Um, is it a B Riley? Buzz, you're yep, it's Buzz. Sorry. I, that, That's that, okay. Famous, get me off mute. <laughs> yes. Uh, so my question, well, first of all, Kathy, I want to say I, I was very encouraged. I loved hearing what you had to say about the salt. And I was very encouraged to read uh, this week that it is a bipartisan agreement that it, it's something that needs to go away, that it's on both sides of the aisle. So I... I will call my local congressman here and make sure that uh, I, my voice is heard. Thank you. Um, it, it, it is, it's silly, quite honestly, to hurt so many people that, that could otherwise help um, by not having that, that burden to bear. So my, my question was around some of the, the, um, the, the talk that has begun around turning some of the vacant commercial buildings, office buildings into housing. And you know that's one way of addressing vacant office buildings. It's a way of addressing affordable housing. But knowing how challenging it is to get a change of use for anything, whether you're doing interiors or buildings, and also the whole uh, conversion to co-ops or condos, I, I think it's a great idea. I think it, it's a wonderful way to address specifically affordable housing. But do you think that that's something that is an immediate focus that the city can make and and make happen so that it does bring vitality and, and invigorates the city? Or is this something that is perhaps just too long-term to even think about as part of reinvigorating the city? Well, the governor put a hundred million in the state budget for office building conversion to housing. So that's like, you know, two office buildings maybe. Um, that's not gonna create a movement. Um, so I think that, I think the question will, will come about how it's packaged. If it gets to um, the agenda of the new mayor, clearly there is a need for supportive housing. We've got 14,000 homeless people living in 62 hotels, and it's, it's a mess um, in residential neighborhoods. So that whole question, I think the top priority is going to do be, number one, uh, how to accommodate that population on a permanent basis with the right supports and protections for the neighbors, um, that uh, supports for the people and protections for the neighbors, that that makes sense. So I think that's gonna be the first priority. I think the, on the conversion issue, you know, after 9-11, the federal government provided rent subsidies, remember downtown to get people back. It was enormously successful. And in, within two years, it was the fastest growing residential community in the country. So I think you've, it's, it, you've got to have the right tools. I don't think we have the right tools right now. 421A is not the right tool for doing this. Um, it just, it, it won't work. 
And so we've got to figure out sort of what are the right tools and then get a partnership with, um, I do think that ownership, co-ops and condos is something that is very saleable and that was, has been ignored from, you know, the fears of gentrification are so great in so many places. Now that's not that's not a, a central business district problem, but I, I do think that if people think they're entering the market in the city at the low point, it's just like we've seen an improvement in the residential market and sales. New Yorkers love a deal. And so to the extent that we can, uh, that the conversion is ownership, I think that's gonna be a big plus in terms of encouraging it. But again, if we don't change the zoning requirements associated, the parking requirements, the setback, all the stuff that's required to do residential development in the city, it won't be possible. And that's gonna take, I, I do not think that the current mayor has any energy or has had any energy to undertake that kind of an effort. So I think it's going to be how to set up partnerships with a new mayor, a new administration as quickly as possible and getting everybody to agree on a list. I put together or suggested putting together um, a group last week. I reached out to a lot of the groups that have been leading their industry associations, including Rebney and the Hospital Association and the Cultural Associations and said, tell me your top three priorities. Let's make one list from each industry. Let's put it together. Let's all support each other and go to the new mayor with a, with a common agenda. And I really think that's the way to deal with this. And I don't know if it's conversion of office buildings and, and to what, I don't know what those solutions are. Those really have to come out of the experts in the industry, but I am certainly willing to organize putting them into a single agenda I'll give you another example for the same agenda is the, um, the human services organizations that have done amazing work during the COVID where they've had people out manning food pantries and, and you know, taking care of homebound people, et cetera. They, they, got, they were told sort of on a handshake, don't worry, we'll reimburse you. Well, they aren't being reimbursed and they're, they're up in arms. So everybody's got a list of things that are their priorities. And if we can support each other, and as I said before, I think the solutions are gonna come out of the community and out of, from the ground up. And if we can support each other in that process, I think it'll be to everyone's benefit and, and to the real estate industry's benefit in particular, because they've been kind of isolated by the politics of rent regulation and the democratic socialists. And so I think, I think it's really important that the real estate industry be part of that. Great, thank you. Thank you, Kathy. I, we don't have too many other questions up on the board, but I think I'll just toss one out there. It's one I ask myself a lot and, and uh, I don't know if others do or, or you do as well, but I think so much about um, what you're talking about and what you're informing of us of today and just in general is, is the messaging, the messaging all over the place. I mean, how do we, how do we also, I guess, focus on changing a little bit of the news cycle or, or getting better messages out there, not only to ourselves, but other end users. So, we can recognize the benefits of the partnerships or, you know, it just, it's, it's, it's um, even, even as you mentioned the New York times, I mean, the New York times, you would think that it would be, I don't know, a little bit more supportive of the city. And, and it's so negative. Everything about it is just so negative. So what can we do about the messaging? Heather, just one more thing on top of that, because the post also is supposed to be so New Yorker, you know, and everything they do every day, you're reading about the murders and the shooting. It's like, you know, the Wild West. I live in the city and, you know, I'm not I know it's in certain areas, but it's not in the business districts where people work. And I think that needs to, that message needs to go, go out there because it's it's detrimental to anybody coming back. Yeah, it's interesting you raised that question because you saw the mayor put $30 million in federal funding into advertising for tourists, but I don't think that's the first step. I, I think we have to, we should be marketing locally um, and, and restoring confidence locally at first. And 
again, there are some efforts, Risa Heller and um, uh, Jonathan Rosen uh, and, um, and NYC Tech, how the city, the tech industry group have put together a program called New York Forever and they're, they're organizing and raising money. I, I, I know um, some of you, I know Silverstein has supported them. I, I, I can't remember who else has supported them, but they're trying to raise money. And again, it's New York for New Yorkers. It's aimed at, at getting people excited and energetic about the future of the city. Um, and, and there's other volunteer groups that are, are putting, doing pop-up performances. The governor is doing some pop-up performances, but I really think that the uncertainty in our leadership at the state level, I mean, the governor sort of self-destructing and then uh, um, and the legislature pissing all over each other and then the, and, and in, in city government, there's just, I'm hoping that the mayoral election will be decided six weeks after the election or within that, with ranked choice voting, God knows we may be sitting here waiting for a mayor to be elected forever. But um, I'm hoping that we'll have a mayor by the end of July, an incoming mayor, and then people can really mobilize around that kind of fresh, whoever it is, fresh approach. And that that will be, and then we use that to market what comes next. And I think that's what people should be thinking about is how do we use that? Um, I've got a call tomorrow with some of our members who are very concerned about exactly the issue as, as Lori raised it. Um, how are we going to, how do we, how do we repackage the message to the city? Um, I don't know if you've seen the job that Transportation Alternatives, they put together a hundred civic groups and got them to endorse turning over 25% of the city's streets to, um, to bicycles, to uh, restaurants, to pedestrians, et cetera. I mean, we were kind of knee jerk against that given that we're very worried about traffic congestion and business access and all that stuff, deliveries, freight. But I'm pushing, oh, oh, and the movie production industry people are hysterical. They may lose street space where they run their, run their movies. Um, but I'm pushing that we look at that because, you know, we could kind of redesign ourselves as Paris um, in from a streetscape standpoint. I think it's, it's worth really taking a deep dive. And I think your industry could really look at that. I'm happy to send you their plan if you don't have it. But it's very thoughtful. We made comments on the draft about accommodating uh, delivery hubs and drop-off hubs, you know, accommodating freight basically. And they were responsive to that and included it in their list of stuff. But that's a real effort to positively reimagine the city. And I think a lot more people are riding bikes than they were before. And now we've legalized scooters. So God knows what that's gonna do. But, um, but, I, but I think there's an opportunity there. And there are other ideas like that. And to me, I. You know, there's a, we're working with a company called Clear that does the TSA passes for air travel what, to give a universal pass where, you, where it's just part of your, it's on your phone, it's your ID. And when you go in, it's your ID, it's your health, it's everything all in one package. I think, I think that'll help too. The, um, the Excelsior pass, the state pass can sit on top of that, but the state pass is only for New York state. And so you really need something that's more universal. It, you know, if you're if you're from New Jersey and you got a, you can't get an Excelsior pass. So we've got a, I, I think the clear solution is a is a more universal pass. And there's a lot of effort in going at that, and I think that's going to help a lot too. Sorry to go on so long. No, it's great. What about um, does 5G and the build out of that network come up with your discussions in terms of coordination between all the major institutions and the the, um, the carriers and maybe say EDC? Yes, we've been working on that for two years. Um, we've made real progress actually this year in the last year because uh, Jesse Tish became head of Do It, the city's um, 
Department of Information Technology, and she totally gets it. And she has, she got, she whipped industry into shape to agree on one set of standards, you know, and then they have to go through the, she got this through the Public Design Commission. You have to design the new box, get the dedication of the polls away from the Department of Transportation, get the Public Service Commission to approve the design of the new box. And we have done that for single tenant poles. The next step is to do it for multi-tenant poles, which is 80% of the poles. And then it is to deal with them, the buildings department and the fire department about the roofs. So she is, she is on track to try and get that done. She's been able to get the single tenant poles through and now she's trying to use that model to roll the rest of it through. We, we need a deputy mayor for, uh, for this kind of purpose, for what the technology, the data, what, you know, what we're gonna do in this city to catch up because we are behind on 5G and that has been part of why we've had such a difficult time during the COVID with education and other stuff. So you're absolutely right to point that out. And that's certainly an item on my agenda. Thank you. We were thinking about having an event around that. And if you have any good suggestions. So you should invite, speakers. you could invite Jessie Tish. Thank you. I'll, I'll, I'll give you her contact info. So Catherine, who are you endorsing for mayor? We're with whoever wins, <laughs> institutionally <laughs> speaking. Um, you know, personally, I'd love to see a woman, but that's beside the point. That's my personal opinion. We don't take a public stand on that. But um, I'm just, I'm just hoping we get somebody who's a good manager and a and a strong decision maker and whose interest is the future of the city and not their own political career. Hard to do in politics. Unless you're not a politician to start out with when you run, right? Exactly. No plugs there. <laughs> I, I got it. Anyway, anyway, before we get ourselves into too much trouble here uh, and delving into a new topic, um, you know, I just think uh, I want to thank Kathy for giving us such a great hour of her time here. And I think we want to thank everybody who joined such a great turnout. Um, I, I live in New York City. I'm a personal champion of the city. And everybody that will listen to me, I tell them that everything they read and they hear is is all not true. And the city's welcoming everybody back with open arms. So I think that's part of our role, each person who comes into the city every day and everyone who lives here, the better that we can communicate that message out um, as well is really important. So totally agree. Okay. I've been in the office since July, last month, <laughs> not this coming July. <laughs> no, totally agree. Thank you very much for having me and good luck. I know you've all got big challenges in your business and I look forward to working with you. Bye. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you. Bye-bye.